0: Hi, dear listener, Sarah Humm speaking. Welcome to Learning Day, a journey to explore how we integrate learning in our everyday lives. And this is season two, dedicated to documenting what we've learned in 2020. Here's the fourth episode. Before you go any further, please keep in mind that this episode contains stories of loss and death. If these topics are sensitive to you right now, please consider coming back another time. If you're struggling, please seek help of a professional or talk to a friend. Last year, we experienced many losses of trivial things like going out with our friends and deeper ones like a sense of stability and security. Sadly, many of us also lost people around us. In many ways, we're probably still grieving those losses, even if we don't realize. Today's guest is Rachel Liu. We talked about the two grief cycles she experienced last year after losing two dear friends, realizing how people deal with grief in different ways and learning from the loved ones who are no longer with us. I hope you enjoy our chat, even if the quality of my audio isn't the best. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Zara. I know it's a special day. Why is it a special day today, Rachel?
1: It is my birthday today. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. But it was nice receiving some cards. So I think the cards, to be honest, this year makes it more special than other years.
0: Mm, Interesting. Well, first, happy birthday. Thank you. Second, it was also my birthday in the first lockdown and I've had this conversation with other people whose birthday was under these special conditions and it seems like we, we find new ways to make this day special even if it's not what we would expect it to be. And I think the cards are a good example. Like people remember you in a different way because they want to make sure it is special. I don't know if that's your experience.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's so thoughtful that some of my friends have actually done a bit of arts and crafts. So it's homemade cards as well, which is even more touching the fact that they spent time to do that and then send it to me. So I'm really grateful.
0: Rachel, before we start talking about the main topic of our conversation, can you tell us how you describe yourself as a learner?
1: I think of Lego as the first thing in my head because in my childhood I've always loved Lego and because I really like making things. So it's it's having the tools for creation and that to me is the most kind of it's almost therapeutic, but it's really playful and fun at the same time. It's not serious. You get to experiment, try things out. And I get really passionate and, you know, that where, where time is like, it just flies by. I think that's the type of learning I enjoy most.
0: I like how you remove the seriousness from learning. It can, it can feel sometimes a bit grey when we think about traditional education or other more traditional forms of learning and so taking that seriousness and calling it playful and comparing it to experiment for me makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes we take ourselves too seriously when we're trying to learn like really hard and actually sometimes the way we learn best is when we have that playfulness in the process. Can you remember one thing that you've learned
0: recently that allowed you to go into that playful mode?
1: Riding my bike is definitely something where I enjoy the process, like enjoying the ride. And I've never been a confident cyclist, by the way. Just FYI, I'm not a hardcore cyclist, you know, kind of with the Lycra. I just like casual leisurely cycling because it's a mode of transport, but a sense of freedom as well. It's that kind of explorer mode. And I used to do that when I travel. So we haven't been able to travel. And my bike has become my closest thing. And we invested in bikes, actually, in me and my husband last year. And I never had confidence on the road. And now we can do a few hours (laughs) and can enjoy it, which I would never thought that would happen. Yeah, it's become my regular kind of really small incremental learnings because it's the confidence that I build along the way. And it's noticing those small things, actually. A lot of the times we think of having to learn that big, massive milestone, but it's sometimes the small increments that we forget about that turns into something bigger over time. Yes,
0: definitely. What is resonating from what you're saying is the, the definitely the small increments and also this idea of learning the confidence. So I think this is true for many skills or things we learn that it's not so much about learning to do the thing, it's about gaining the confidence to do the thing. That's most of the work when we are learning something. So it's interesting that you mentioned that.
1: Yeah, it's it's so true though. I did I didn't realise that I have to build, rebuild that confidence. And it's the same for me driving the car. I had an accident, like, I think over about seven years ago. And lastly, I also got back into driving as well. So that it was a confidence thing. I had refresher lessons. And the first thing the driver said to me, the driving instructor, he was like saying, your, your driving skills are absolutely fine. It's just the confidence to just believe in yourself that you can do it. And it was reassuring, that build confidence, having that feedback, because sometimes the self-doubt gets in the way. It's too loud. And it hinders, even though I've built the skills over the years, it's just that it's rusty because I just haven't used it. it. doesn't mean that I've forgotten it. So that's quite interesting.
0: Sometimes i wonder if I should be doing more with Learning Day, with the community, if I should be doing more initiatives around, like, let's call them hard skills and learning specific things and how to improve your brain and those kind of things that I see in other places Mm-hmm. And I feel sometimes a bit, like in a way, guilty that I'm not doing that. But then I have these conversations like the one we're having right now. And it reminds me of why I don't do it. <laughs> because for me, it's exactly this. It's much more about the mindset and how we can prepare ourselves to go into that moment or to understand how that more uh, specific moment, let's call that, of hard learning, needs preparation, needs the, the, the feelings and emotions and the things we will find hard are absolutely normal. And that's where we are working. And so thank you for this conversation. It's making me feel calmer in that, in that realm. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying my chat with Rachel. And before we go back to it, I want to share with you a message from Sedju, a member of the Learning Day community.
1: Every time I join the weekly reflection sessions, it goes two ways so one it's a point of the week for me to reflect and to analyze what i've been through and learn with everything that happened in the previous week but also it sets a starting point for the next week i feel very comfortable and safe to share my reflections and it's good to see what other people are going through because it's always insightful for my own life I would invite everybody to join. It would be great to share my reflections and hear what everyone's going through as well.
0: Consider joining one of the weekly reflection sessions this Thursday. Go to learningday.community to learn more and sign up. Now, back to our chat. Rachel, let's move into the main topic of our conversation. Okay. Which is potentially a less playful one, but I am saying this with my lenses, and you will in, in turn tell me if it is or not. Because I I must say that I'm a bit nervous about addressing this topic. And I'm saying it because I'm assuming that potentially someone listening might be also feeling some resistance. And so I I want to say you're not alone if if you are feeling that. The topic of our conversation is grief. You volunteered in a very generous way to talk about two experiences that you've had last year. You told me that you've experienced two grief cycles last year. And you're here to tell us the story about those experiences and what you've learned from them.
1: Yeah, so I think the pandemic and first lockdown seems weird to be talking about different lockdowns now. It was tricky already. I think there's there's a maybe a kind of overarching grief, but I don't want to, I guess, in general. It's and that's a bigger reflective part. But the the thing that I guess triggered most reaction or emotionally was when I heard my piano teacher passed away from my mom. And it was a really surreal, strange moment because when she told me, it felt very calm. And then after the call, I've never cried so loudly. And it was like, it was just so painful because my piano teacher was someone that I've known since childhood. She's like kind of a grandma, but a really close friend, as well as a piano teacher. She was like my cheerleader in my life. So my actual grandma on my mum's side, she doesn't speak English. And she gives warmth in a lot of other ways that I'm so appreciative of. Because growing up, my parents just had to work really hard for our own upbringing. But when I had lessons with my piano teacher, she she i guess gave encouragement in a different way in the way of i guess a lot of the things that we just mentioned about the encouragement the mindset all of that it wasn't even about the piano lessons it was about that friendship and having a space to be heard to be listened so it was such a deep connection and when i went to university so we've kept in touch and whenever I see my parents, I would always visit her. So it's such a close bond. Even when I went traveling, I wrote postcards to her. And she's one of those people that loves letters and loves receiving cards. Her room would be full of cards, actually. She never had children. And yeah, it was, it was amazing that she had all these students and pupils instead. like We were her children in a way. And that warmth was something that was just always present and always there. So somehow that realization and not sure how to react to it, but my body obviously just reacted with just just kind of weak. Then afterwards I felt so shameful about it. Like, how do I show up to work? I've always been super strong, I've always been a person that keeps on moving things forward. I did not have the motivation. I, I couldn't be strategic. I couldn't use my analytical side. I was so frustrated by it, but at the same time it just felt, it just felt like I was just constantly in this rut of being really blue. And then I found it also strange that my parents wouldn't really talk about it because then it felt like I didn't have permission to talk about it either. And there was no one else to talk about it too. <laughs> I didn't know anyone else who knows her because my mom is really close to her, has in like an auntie kind of level. So it's a family friend, but we couldn't talk about it. And this was then I had a lot of resentment. And I just went in this strange mode of not having appetite. Lots of things just seemed so grey. I couldn't really sleep. And it was, just, it was just such a weird state to be in. And I've never experienced that, that level of like blueness. But I think there was something wrong with me not being able to snap out of it. I just didn't realise that that is what grief means and to process it. But I was just pushing it away so quickly as much as possible because I wanted to get on top of things, to be that really, um, the Rachel that shows up and can do everything and, and can, still, <laughs> can still be okay for everyone. And yeah, and I actually it, it was the opposite. And I, I just felt so shameful about it. When I told my manager, he was just like, well, yeah, take time off. And I was like, well, I don't even know how to take this time off. I don't know what to do with myself with this time. I reached out to one person who I knew that had a close friend that passed away. I just was like, can I just talk to you about it? And that was the best thing I did because I didn't realise it's okay to talk about it. I mean, this topic alone, I think, is just really hard to talk about. And I think it's only people who have gone through grieving someone maybe close. They can actually hold a space for you. And I didn't... I had no idea (laughs) that they can do that. And that's okay for me to feel so... I guess, such raw emotions and so vulnerable. And and actually, I think when I... (laughs) Instead of being in control of the situation, when I decided not to be, to let that go, I received so much warmth from other people, although my resentment towards my parents built up because I didn't understand why I couldn't talk to them about it. And the funeral was online. I didn't understand why my mom wouldn't go to an online funeral either or wouldn't donate money or something. Later on, I didn't realize there's a whole difference between the East and the West culturally. And I thought I was super aware of this in my work of doing lots of cultural research between the East and the West and myself being between the two worlds. I just didn't know that grief was another dimension of how people behave differently and how people cope differently. It was really interesting that it was bad luck to talk about it. And that's why my parents would never talk about it. So I was just like, oh, okay. And it was watching this film that kind of got me to feel more at ease and to go, oh, this is normal. It's not something that's just me being really alone and just feel really lost.
0: (laughs) The story has so many interesting uh, and beautiful and sad, obviously, corners. And this difference from East and West what strikes me the most being Portuguese, my parents are Portuguese, they didn't come from any other country, so I, my my cultural reading is very, it's much easier, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. How you also didn't know that, how that probably never came up, right? And that's why you never realized that. And it's so interesting to that, how you can be so close to something and still not understand it. That's, that was stayed with me since we first talked. And I don't know if this is the experience of other people that are sons or daughters, of people that came from other countries and that were raised in a different country. But you, I know you do a lot of work uh, in, in these cultural nuances. Is this a common experience?
1: Yeah, it was interesting because I digged a little bit into it and it was the film called The Farewell to tell the story of like, collectivism versus individualism. So there's the whole collective grieving, like, let's not tell the grandma who's ill that she is ill. We want her to pass gracefully as much as possible and would even get the doctor to lie and I was like whoa this is this is a very different world because I guess my education has been in the UK so for me I find it like normal to talk about things and I'm a person who who missed connection anyway from the pandemic it made it more difficult in some ways they just put barriers up but I just didn't understand where they were coming from because they never communicated either (laughs) and maybe there were some assumptions there and I think it was a couple of my friends or different people kind of like got me to look at it from their perspective rather than something that I'm like, how could they be feel so or act so like calm about it or not talk about it or not be emotional about it? But actually, they're just protecting the child. They're so used to protecting the child from things. And in some ways, they're kind of protecting me, but actually, It's not what I needed. I needed someone to kind of, the nurturing me and and kind of allow it to let it out, just like what my piano teacher would have done in that scenario. And that was the missing part that I was having and actually going, hold on a minute, I need to talk to other people. I need to surrender and get help. And it's okay to, and the permission for one person to actually hold the space for me. And then weirdly, I think because I opened up in a vulnerable way, I earned more respect from it. And I thought I would lose respect because, especially when it's from a work context, it's like, how can you mix personal and professional lives together? I can't talk about that. But actually, I did. And that gave permission for other people. To kind of say, it's okay, it's very human to feel this way and to not be productive in this period of time is absolutely okay.
0: That is an important point to land here. What you just said about the fear of losing respect by being vulnerable. Yeah. When it was exactly the opposite and on top of it, you allowed other people to speak up. This is something very relevant in general, but particularly relevant right now when we are going through a collective crisis and we don't deal with it the same, all of us. I was Mm -hmm. having this conversation with a friend, she's managing a team and she realized that some people in her team were fine being at home, they were thriving, they were doing yoga, they were eating well, they were doing all the good things and others were just struggling and they didn't know how to verbalize it. And it wasn't until she said, actually, I hate this, I cry every day, that the others also opened up. Obviously, there are different working environments that potentially don't allow for that. But I think we need to create those environments more and more so that we can be more human in general, not just at work, but in general, and allow others to come on that journey with us as well.
1: Yeah, I would say that that was my one of my biggest takeaways. I followed and read and listened a lot to Brené Brown's work on vulnerability. And it's interesting because until you experience it, that's another level because that's the real life experience learning that's happening. When you read it, it's a bit more passive. You're like, oh, I understand it. I understand where it's coming from. And I actually listened to one of her podcasts, which was about grief. She interviewed someone and he actually wrote a book about it when his son passed away and there was different stages of grief. And I remember listening to it when uh, my piano teacher passed away as a way to journal and to remember the things that she brought to my life as a as a nice kind of closure. But it was interesting because I was still trying to make progress by almost going okay I'm at this stage now okay I'm at the next stage now and he said this he said it's not linear it could be kind of it's quite random you could go from one phase to a different phase and back to the other phase and then at some point at the end of it until you process it you find meaning it's interesting because that discomfort means that I want to rush it even quicker it's like come on, process it. I know, like, I've got the intelligence now. I know that these are, the, these are the different stages that you go through. But actually, it doesn't make it any easier knowing that. It's almost trying to kind of, I, I was trying to compete with that in some ways. It, it was really interesting. Now thinking about it in hindsight, it's still playing very logical kind of like, yeah, you know, kind of going through it, making progress. But actually, I
0: was still resisting can relate to that feeling <laughs> especially a lot with Brene Brown it happens yes <laughs> that woman is walking inside on Sunday I was reading about relationships I watched every video you can imagine on YouTube about attachment styles but we can talk about that another time and so I was consuming all of that content and then okay now I'm ready to actually put this into practice and then you start putting it into practice and you're like actually I don't I need more time I need to start doing and practice but it w- I won't get it right the first time and this this process of trying to intellectualize everything that happens oh yes so that happened for that reason and we're not machines and these, these frameworks do help immensely but they are not the key to unlock everything in our lives. <laughs> we need to allow the process to happen as well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought it up that I wasn't, I'm not the only one consuming that way (laughs) and then expecting that I can put it into practice straight away because I consumed all of that, like the goodness, you know.
0: Rachel, before we go into the second moment of grief, I'd like you to tell us about this experience of going to a funeral online because. I haven't experienced that yet, but I think it might have been a reality for a lot of people last year and it will continue to be this year. So how does an online funeral look like and how does it feel to be there?
1: I had no idea what to expect. I think for anyone who organizes it, they have the harder work, to be honest. My piano teacher, she used to always donate to charity and one part is the donation part and then the other part was just the ceremony. Now I've been to two and they're slightly different. The first one I went to was a bit of a bird's eye view of kind of the ceremony itself. And then a couple of key members that were talking about Dolofy's life. And then also her niece sent us a video at the end of it. It was only half an hour that ceremony part. But I would say that ceremony part was such a good closure for me. I never heard Dolofy's whole story, first of all. I didn't know her life before she knew me. I mean, she lived up to 94, which is really impressive. She rode her bike until the age of 90. She almost inspired me to kind of go, you know what? If she can do it, I can definitely ride the bike. I didn't realise she was a widow at such a young age. And I think members of the family talking about her story and showing the photos and things, I felt like that was just such a good way of all the things I want to remember her for and the joy and the things that she brought in her niece asked everyone like you want to write messages and things and you can see in the donation page that first of all I thought she touched just like my life so deeply but actually she gave just as much attention to everyone else collectively she was so loved so the stories that we had is all very similar of how well she knows each of us with that warmth that gentleness that encouragement. It's pretty incredible in some ways. And then towards the end of it, yeah, there was a video link that was the montage. It is almost like something that we take away and treasure. And it was the background music of a flute music that she would have loved or she maybe used to play. And it had a photo of me and her. And I was so surprised to even be on in that montage because it was all her family. And I did not expect there's also me in, in that montage. So I was so touched by it because it meant that photo was around in her house for that friend to or her niece to put it together. So yeah, it was, it was a really nice, warm closure. And I, and I actually really needed that. It was something that helped process and soothed. Yeah, it was just so soothing. And it just encouraged me to kind of go, right, like, if I want to remember her and what I'm going to take away, and what I'm going to take with me every day, you know, what's that kind of spirit that she adds? in times that maybe I struggle. The riding the bike one is definitely one. I didn't realize she had so many adventures, which I'm like, oh my God, she resonates with me in so many ways. That creative side of her and the explorative side, she used to have a caravan in Wales and she traveled to South Africa, Germany, and she lived in London, so she had that active lifestyle in London. At the heart of it, she lived by her passion and she lived quite simply. But in a way that she was just gave so much without, I don't know, I think it was more like, wow, why we're always kind of looking for titles or looking for things like identity for things that just have the worth, like how we measure worth. She showed it could be so simple. (laughs) And I've forgotten some of that, actually. So in some ways, it kind of remember the qualities of things that, and, and the values that I want to live by intentionally and practice. And so, yeah, she, she almost got me to kind of write that down and to kind of uh, practice that intentionally. It's like an anchor, and it's, it's one that makes me smile a lot these days. And I think once you get to that point, I think you realise that that's the meaning and that's the bit that I take away.
0: It's very beautiful that there was so many to discover in this ceremony that usually is sad and it, it feels like the end. And At least in my experience and the experience you are describing, it almost feels like it's the start of something instead of the end of something. Mm. Yeah, it's, this, it, it's unpacking a lot more than what you knew about this person. It's really beautiful and meaningful. Rachel, shall we talk about the second grief cycle now? what happened
1: yeah so so I thought I've digested one started to kind of put that into practice and then found out through a friend I think it was actually through Facebook that there's a mutual friend of ours that passed away so similar similar age maybe a few years older than me so kind of mid-30s and that was that was a shock because I was housemates with him at some point as well and it was a different kind of shock. The first thing I said to myself was going, oh crap, like I'm not sure if I, I have the capacity to, to go through another. So there was a whole fear around that because it, it, it took a lot out of my body to process it. However, I remember the lessons that I did learn, like reaching out early, taking the time off and I remember talking to colleagues again and he was just like look Rachel if your body is telling you and this time I think I've learned to listen to my body a bit more as well I was living more simply during the time I was grieving the first time like just feeding myself with nourishing food was was a massive achievement. But it was something that it was for myself that I was taking responsibility even with a basic need. And it felt like my body needed those basic things again. Like it, it just, my brain just could not process anything else. It just needed things like a bit of music, a bit like actually... I know just walking in nature really slowly things like that and I, I felt guilty for taking that time off but actually <laughs> because he mentioned like when you're gonna take it otherwise like yeah but you know taking time off is usually for holiday for for something bigger but that was the best thing I did because because I did that early on I think for the first week I processed it so much quicker, like I allowed myself, instead of protecting it, you know, with armour, and going, no, I don't want this. This time, I was more like, okay, if Dolophy was holding the space for me as well, you know, what would that look like? And actually, it involved some journaling, it involved just crying here and there and that's okay it involves just ringing up and calling a close friend when I needed to or sometimes just none of that and just stay in bed but because I did that and I allowed myself to do that it was just quite a different experience and because as well we had mutual friends we were talking about our friend Ed in in such light and again it was it's really interesting the qualities that everyone resonates with So Ed is the really adventurous one that will always take risks, that is so present, has a goofy laughter. It's always very, very consistent, which was really interesting. And then again, turning up, showing up for the online funeral, I heard things that I didn't know about Ed, and he didn't want people to know that he had a tumor before. He was living life to the fullest because other people didn't know as well, because otherwise you might, we might treat him differently. So it's amazing the kind of the life that he has lived, like almost the bigger context. We like zooming out and knowing like, wow, this is what Ed has left us. And it was different. Like it was a different kind of energy. So he, he's the kind of one that encourages me to kind of live in that moment, to kind of go, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Just try it, sort of thing, that courage. And he's, he, he was such a global trotter around, and he had so many friends of diversity. It was just amazing. And I think because he always knew that his life might be short, so he's always lived by that. And I didn't know that before. But now in the bigger context, I'm like, oh, that's where it comes from. I just know him like has the nicest, genuine person. But there's also a wild side, a side as well, that, that both can coexist so gracefully. And now I'm like, oh, I see where it comes from.
0: I love how you allowed them in, not allow them because they're already in your life, but you allow them to stay. Instead of pushing them away, you invited your two friends into your life. They have a role. Ed is the person, the voice in your head that will tell you, why don't you do it? Try it. And it feels like they are very present and they are still alive in that way. We're talking about grief and about two very specific experiences, but we are all experiencing a collective grief. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you think the things you have learned from these two experiences can also be applied to this collective grief provoked by the pandemic and other things that might be happening in people's lives right now?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think first of all, everyone is experiencing their own journeys, right? So it's a collective experience, but we know that we handle things and coping things in different ways. And that's okay. There is no right or wrong way to do it. And I think that's one thing that I've learn that I hope that others can can kind of take take that away the other part is the invitation to slow down we're not used to slowing down <laughs> we're not used to I think someone called it like groundhog's day <laughs> where everyone, every day feels a bit like oh it's repetitive but in some ways it's exploring inwards so I've always been someone that explore outwards. And I think the invitation is like, wow, okay, I need to really listen and, and attune with my body and respect that and what it needs. And as I listen to it, I think, especially for the grieving period, it's like, I need more nourishment. And sometimes, yes, I I need something sweet. And there, 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 there doesn't need to be a judgment with that. That's just what my body needs right now. And I think that helps as well to kind of just, have a, a different relationship and rebuild our relationship that it doesn't always have to be everything in the headspace there's definitely something about being tuning back into the heart space as well and just align a bit more into that because that will just help you process certain things And the emotions part, we make a lot of judgments of like what is bad and good (laughs) emotions, which ones we want to push away and which ones we want to welcome. But actually, a human experience is both. And that's what makes it beautiful. Like it's all the spectrum of emotions, what we label as good or bad, right or wrong, you know? And I think when we welcome them, it might be uncomfortable, but that discomfort, Usually, it's a sign of growth. Weirdly, I compared the grief cycle to my cultural shock cycle, and it's the same different phases of ups and downs, the fluts, and you know, the ebbs and flows. When you, when you have a storm, and then afterwards it passes and it calms, it's the same thing that we're going, you know, there's gonna be a storm, and that's where you kind of have to find ways to breathe deeper, to be more present. That mindfulness is quite an important practice that I've I practiced a lot during this period, actually. Because it's okay to, say, be fearful during this time. And, And that's where we lean on each other. I think that's where I really value human connection and community even more so. And having the space to be listened and to be heard, a safe space for that. We need to provide that. We need to take responsibility to do that for ourselves. The fact that, say, my reaction is that I want to push it away, it's not a bad thing. It's just more that the mind just wants to protect you. It's a protection mechanism, and that's what it does. It's, it's just there for what that safety is. But sometimes, because we're too protective, it doesn't mean that we build that resilience which we need. And I would say it's an invitation to kind of develop the resilience in a very different way than we have ever imagined. Because we can't imagine it, it means that it's unknown. And that's usually the scary part. But actually, it's the unknown where there's more possibilities.
0: And that's how we really grow. What I take away is this reminder to not resist the feelings and the emotions. Even if we classify them as negative, they, they have a role mm. and I think it's very easy to say these days, oh, it's fine, we'll, we're going to be okay, and we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay. That works, and hope is important, but sometimes it also drives me slightly mad, because like, I don't feel like it's going to be okay. <laughs> and I'm allowed to feel that. <laughs> and I think you are reminding me to not resist that feeling and to try to investigate why, and, and that it's fine even if I don't understand why, and it's okay.
1: Actually, I remember one of my coach mentioned this quote, like, what you resist, persists.
0: Mm. Say that again. So what you,
1: what you resist will persist. Let
0: mm.
1: I me mean, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because I know that, say, for example, I haven't faced my fear with driving so long because I didn't mm-hmm. have to. It's like, well, I live in London, don't need to drive. Again, you know, I, I I moved abroad in China. Didn't need to come back, living in London. And then with the pandemic and stuff, well, it's like, well, longer term, if I want to see my family and things, and lots of my friends from different parts of UK, I might actually need to drive again. And really, it's that that's how much I want connection. It's very hard to have the courage to kind of go, oh, okay. But yeah, if I because I've been shying away from it for a long time. It obviously that fear grows, right? It persists because you haven't faced up to it. But once you face up to it, it does at some point vanish, and then and then this relief comes at the end of it. I'm like,
0: what have I been so fearful for, for so long? It's because we've left it. It loses power. Yeah. Let's leave those learnings float while we end our conversation with the typical last question which is what is learning for you?
1: Oh okay so learning is enjoying the ride. The bike ride? The the process, right? The ride in general. The bike ride is just more the
0: just the anchor, just to remind me. And Rachel, if you could ask our listeners one question, what would that be?
1: What would you want to be remembered for? The qualities. Focus on the qualities that you want to be remembered for. And how might you show up
0: differently? Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for being so generous with your story and experience.
1: And well, Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you want to get in touch with Rachel, find out how on the show notes. I would also love to hear from you. Go to learningday.community and reach out. If this episode was useful to you, consider subscribing to Learning Day on your podcast app. And, as a little extra, share it with a friend. I don't know where this is going to take us, but I know we're going to learn something along the way. Thank you for listening. See you next time.